Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I didn't double check, but I believe this is number 42. And if you've been listening since the beginning, thank you. I just want to say thank you. Props to you uh, for going through all these. It's been a lot of fun conversations. Um, if, if you're new, thanks for joining. And I hope I hope you'll listen to, listen to some more episodes. I hope you'll enjoy what you're hearing. My name is Andy Sido. I'm the host. Um, I started this podcast back in August of 2018. There was a little season break, but other than that, we've been going strong every other Thursday. And uh, when the quarantine started, uh, we moved to every Thursday. And I think I'm going to try to stay on on the uh, the weekly thing. It's it's good for it's good for content, and it I'm I love doing it. So the once a week I think is maybe going to be the new thing. Anyway, I'm a singer songwriter musician composer, producer, whatever. I play Americana, kind of music, rock and roll, I guess. Tom Petty meets Jackson Brown sort of thing. So that's what I do. I also teach lessons, and I and I do this podcast, and, uh, and I absolutely love it. How are you? What's new? Are things starting to get back to normal somewhat, a little bit? Are you still... Are you still quarantining? Are you staying inside? Are you at higher risk? What's going on? What's going on with you? I hope wherever you're at with everything, I hope life is good, and I hope you're being safe and respectful um, of others. I'm hanging out this week, not at home. I'm about an hour south of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in a place called Star Valley, and it's where my grandparents lived for many years. And uh, my my mom's parents and my granddad passed away back uh, in the beginning of October, and uh, my grandma's in assisted living. They were both, he was in his 90s, she's in her 90s, um, and has dementia, so she, she needs around-the-clock people watching her, and, and we've, we were stopping by until uh, the quarantine happened. I haven't seen her in a few months, but we're hoping to see her on, on the way home if we can, even if it's uh, away from the window, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with all of that. But anyway, we're up. I'm up in Star Valley with my girlfriend Allie, my brother Egan, and my mom Patty, and we're we're hanging out up here one last time because the house is under contract. So it's a bittersweet trip where uh, we're you know doing the the childhood golf course one last time. It's the only time I ever golf. I'm not a golfer. Um, walk in the neighborhood, clearing out the house, and it's it's a lot of fun. I feel thankful to get to come up and say goodbye to the house, but also it's really weird being up here without grandparents and and cookies and football games. You know, it's just kind of it's kind of awkward. But anyway, I'm working from from the mobile office this week. My guest today is Fran Snyder, and he is the founder of the Listening Room Network. And it's a really cool thing that I discovered after playing a house show um, and somebody told me about it. said, man, you need to get involved in the Listening Room Network. And I've always been looking for something that helps connect me with house concerts, listening room shows, whatever, because those shows are the best. I did a few shows opening for, for some acts earlier this year. I did a couple shows with Chuck Prophet. I did a show with Brett Denon. Um, and and their audiences are listening room type audiences, and it was the most amazing thing. I was able to show my personality and tell jokes, and people listened to the lyrics and clapped after solos. It was awesome, and I thought, man, I need more shows like this. Well, I did a house concert kind of thing uh, as my last show before 
the stay-at-home order started. And somebody I met there was involved with the Listening Room Network, and they said, you gotta, you got to, you know, see what you can do to audition and get accepted. I have not I have not sent in an audition yet, but the site fascinated me. I went to listeningroomnetwork.com, and I found out that they have this big network of people who host house concerts. So if you're somebody who wants to host a concert in your home, you can do that through this website. And I think it's, at, what did Fran say, it was a $10 annual fee or something um, just to get serious hosts only. But there's also coffee houses and... Um, things like that that in listening rooms that are basically as the ne- the network wants listening rooms they want people who are hosting shows that are not loud they're not um hooting and hollering at the bar people are there to listen to the music and artists uh can apply i think it's about fifty dollars you apply and you try to get accepted and only 30 percent of applicants get in um and they basically have a team that looks at your website and your presence and, you know, what your stage performance looks and sounds like. And they decide if you get in based on that. And if you get in, it's a it's an annual fee, um, which Fran talks about more in the interview. But you pay the annual fee and then you're a six. Yeah, there's a six month or an annual fee. You pay that and then you can just start reaching out to people. You can start reaching out to uh house concert hosts and try to book shows and if they like you they'll book you it's a really cool thing it's a reputable site because everybody who's on it um is serious about it and has been vetted so open oh, siri thought i was talking to her nope not you sorry sweetie anyway it's a really cool thing if you're a musician or a music lover that's why i wanted this to to do this interview if you're a music lover and you haven't ever hosted a house concert I think at the end of this interview, you're going to want to. And if you're a musician um, who in this time is looking for a way, uh, maybe a little bit more long-term to, to stay sustainable as a musician after everything that's happened the last few months, you might start looking at doing some solo shows if you play in a band and some listening room things. I don't know. I thought this was very insightful. So I was going to read this little uh, passage off the Listening Room Network homepage we are the leading promoter of concerts in people's homes, and we also support great coffee houses, clubs, and remarkable listening rooms around the world. When you attend our concerts, we want you to have an enjoyable experience without distractions or noisy patrons during the show. If you want that to join us. It's a very organized website. Am I explaining this well enough, what the Listening Room Network is? It's a place where people can host concerts, listening room concerts, house concerts, and it's a place where musicians can find hosts to play house concerts at. It's a really cool thing for musicians. It's a really cool thing for music fans. So um, we'll jump in uh, to my conversation with Fran Snyder here in just a second. I know most of these episodes I wanted to say are, are with are with musicians and are maybe kind of human interest pieces, and sometimes we talk about anything but music. But I also like to throw in um, things like this that are a, a little bit different. Um, than what than what we normally have on the podcast. And Fran uh, is a singer songwriter himself, and I've shared some of his music in the show notes. So if you're if you enjoy the show and you enjoy, you know, listening to my chat with Fran, go check out his music as well, um, and check out the website listeningroomnetwork.com. There's a lot more hosts than musicians, and they're trying to keep it that way. So hosts, 
people who love live music, think about think about hosting some musicians uh, in your backyard in the fall or something, socially distantly. Cool. Is that it? I believe so. A quick thanks to sponsors, uh, Patrick at PQ Mastering. Patrick puts the finishing touches on this pad- podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. We also have Narrator Music. They offer simple and affordable licensing for sync. Go to www.narratorrf.com for more information. Okay, I think that's it. We covered our bases. Let's jump into it. My conversation with Fran Snyder of the Listening Room Network. Hey, Fran, how's it going? Uh, doing great. Good to, good to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. And you're joining from Florida. Yeah, I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. I grew up here mostly. I'm actually uh, from Montreal, Canada originally, but I moved here as as, as a child and stayed here for for a good while before uh, moved around and came back. So uh, it's it's a great spot. I grew up in Tampa, but I live in St. Petersburg now. Great, great, great. Um, it's one of the one of the nice things that's happened with all of this COVID mess is everyone's learned how to use zoom and now i have guests all over the world instead of yeah. just in denver so it's cool to expand the network that way <laughs> yeah yeah we're we're all available <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly um well you you have a very interesting website going it's the listening room network which i think was you had concerts in your home first that became sort of evolved yes. into the listening room network um tell us Tell us about what that is and how it works. Okay. Well, I, it, a little background probably helps. I'm, I'm a singer-songwriter. I fell in love with, you know, uh, well, I toured, toured, played clubs and coffee houses and colleges and all that. And uh, in the early 2000s, I actually fell in love with playing house concerts. It was kind of this little secret of the super folky community. And I was thinking I was going to be the next Peter Gabriel, Dave Matthews. So right. house concerts thing was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Uh, but then an uh, opportunity rose uh, when I was on, on the road to do something with the fan. It was just an amazing experience. It, it had felt like 20 years since I'd had that level of engagement with an audience, and I was just instantly hooked. And back then, there wasn't a good website to, that was really sort of shepherding or promoting house concerts. There were a couple of pages, and there were people talking about it, but there really wasn't a great resource. And uh, by 2005, I was so frustrated with, with my research on house concerts, trying to find places to play and, um, and, and just how much information was out of date or just flat out wrong. So I decided to build a website to kind of solve my own problem and then you know share that solution. If I'm going to do all this work, why would I just hoard it? But then when I realized how much work it was going to be, um, I had to turn it into a business. Uh, so they could sustain itself. So that's how Concerts in Your Home was born. That was back in 2005, 2006. And, uh, and over the years, we, we've grown. It's been sort of lo- it's been global since the beginning. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the majority of our activities in the United States. And, uh, and we found out pretty early on that a lot of our house concerts weren't always in a house. There were different types of 
venues being used for the house concert concept. And, uh, and, and not only that, but also a, a lot of the places that we wanted to, to enable or help weren't house concerts, but just a really, a really nice listening room. We don't want those places to go out of business just because house concerts are doing well. Right. So th that sort of necessitated, necessitated the change to changing the name from Concert in Your Home to Listening Room Network. Yeah. Because really our core value is uh, a listening audience and a living wage. And yeah. so the shape of the building is not really the issue. It's is can the artist have the attention of the entire audience and can the artist make a living wage playing there? That's really our core value. So we changed it to Listening Room Network. Although the majority of our network is still mostly house concerts, uh, we want to make sure that that listening rooms have uh, a, a source of support. And so that's been, you know, that that was the reason for the name change. Concertsinyourhome.com is still there as an educational resource, yeah. but all of our activity, all the connections happen at listeningroomnetwork.com. Great. And I, I was going to ask you about um, what first got you into it. And it sounds like it's the fact that you were performing all the time. Um, are you still doing, are you still doing that? Do you still go out and perform and things? Like yeah, that? I did a show last week. I don't play as much as I used to. Uh, the website kind of took over my life and um, I have this, I don't know, this issue with writing at the edge of my ability. And so I don't write anything that's easy for me to play. And so if I don't stay on top of my game, then gigging gets to be really, really difficult. So if I book a show, it's like, okay, this, now this is an ordeal because I have to do like 30 hours of rehearsing for a one hour show. So, yeah. uh, so you know, that's kind of been discouraging as an artist is, is uh, I have to learn how to write songs uh, that don't require everything in my ability to perform them well. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's good though. You're constantly having a challenge for yourself. Yeah, there's there's always something to practice. That's for sure. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and when you first did your first couple house concerts, did you have to change your setup quite a bit, or, or your set up? Sorry, not your setup, but your right, set up. right. Um, because I mean, were you doing loud clubs and stuff beforehand, or was it a really easy transition into a house concert vibe? So I was doing at the time. I was doing a lot of college. Uh, circuit work and most of that was focused on originals and you know throwing a couple of fun covers here and there um, engagement was really varied some places were great some places weren't um, the really the real transformation that came from house concerts it was number one it was much clearer that I was enjoying myself on on stage right um, having that level of intimacy with the crowd was something that felt supernatural and, and super natural um, <laughs> to me. And I just relished in it. But the other thing was um, I've always really wished that artists would notice how comedians work a crowd because, you know, when a comedian gets on stage, they are, religiously paying attention to the audience to see what's working and what's not. And they're experimenting with timing and wording and, you know, pacing and expressions, you know, to try to make something funnier or more 
effective in their routine. And I think as an artist playing in clubs where, you know, you're not used to really having the audience's full attention um, or you're fighting for it, um, it can be easy. It can get easy to sort of tune out the audience and just say, you know what, I'm getting paid to practice. I can watch the game and, and, one hundred percent. Yeah, play, play these songs and stop working on your show, and and of course clubs have a variety of that. And and I think for me clubs had made me lazy. Uh, I just I didn't feel connected with my audience in any way. Um, I just I don't really enjoy being around drunk people, and uh, I you know I can enjoy having some drinks, but uh, uh, just dealing with with bar crowds just was just never my scene. So, so this instant, like feeling that I found my people, like, you know, even if it was 15 or 20 people instead of 30, 50 or a hundred, um, it, it really encouraged me to pay attention to the audience. Plus you can, you know, unlike, like on a big stage, you can't even see their faces because the, you know, spotlights are shining in your face. So this, this immediacy, this intimacy where you, you can tell, that you know these three people are crying because of that line in that song, and that dude just fell out of his chair laughing because you nailed that joke. Um, those things helped me improve my show because all of a sudden I was interested in my audience again, and by being interested in their in their reactions, I was able to notice what was working and what wasn't working in my shows. Yeah, you know. Because these shows now, all of a sudden, people were coming up and telling me, you know, their favorite line from that song and how, what it meant to them and their, reminded them of their kid or whatever. And I just had all this great data about how my show, uh, how effective my show was. And I think for me, that was the change. It was not so much I had to change my show for the audience. I think the audience and the nature of the show changed me as a performer does that make sense yeah a hundred percent and i i can't tell you how much i relate to that because i uh i when i tour with the band you know there's markets that we've been to a dozen times and we're still banging our head against the wall because it's because it's tough to get people out and it's tough to uh milk a community around the places that are booking us right or build a community sorry and and when you're home you know, I have a weekly, twice a week golf course gig, not this summer, but yeah. um, there's there's those things and you start to think, well, there's nobody here or nobody's listening to me or whatever. I'm just here to make my $200 and go home. Yeah. And when you're put in front of an audience um, who knows that they're going out to pay attention to live music. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that's what they're signing up for. Um, it gosh, it, it must be incredible. And it, and you do think about your show and things like that. And I know for me, I've, I sought out your site, a recommendation from somebody of, who does house concerts through your site. Yeah. And it was eye-opening in the last few months because I played a show uh, that he was at. It was a house concert vibe. And, and then I did a couple shows, a couple dates with Chuck Prophet. And I saw the audience that was listening to him. Everybody's there, everybody's sitting, everybody's listening. Everybody wants to hear the joke um, and feel the personality of the performer. And I thought, wow, he makes a living doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, 
no, he's not headlining Red Rocks. Right. And that's totally fine. Um, yeah. He's found his people and they're there for him. Um, so when you started doing these house concerts, how long did it take you till you were doing them regularly? And did you start to see your audience grow? Did, were you getting repeat people coming when you'd go back to the town? Yeah, there's, well, there was something, um, something about the nature of house concerts. If you can be somebody's first concert that they host, if you're their first performer and you do that well and you make them comfortable, not only do you have the opportunity to improve the music community for everyone by getting somebody addicted to hosting shows, but you may have the only chance at, at being the recurring artist for that series because most house concert hosts are, you know, on average they're doing maybe six shows a year, right? Some do one a month, some do one or two a year, but on average, you know, most of the house concert presenters in our network are doing five, six, maybe seven shows a year. Okay. And what happens over time is they fall in love with a bunch of acts, but they can't have every act back every year. But invariably, there's one act that stands out above everybody else. They choose one act that, yes, we have to have this person back every year. And if you can be their first house concert, you have a good shot at being that person. And when you can create that in several markets and maybe create a couple of hosts, new hosts in each market based on your fans, based on getting them to spread the word, um, I think it's a super effective way to, to build a, a, you know, a, a worthwhile financial base, fan base in a town to where then you can add clubs and those public type shows, which are still important to your career. Yes. Um, it, and have a reasonable chance of having a worthwhile event because you've planted seeds in that, you know, for that audience, you've gotten 40 or 50 emails in that market directly of people who've seen you play. And then you come back and do, you know, start, start trying to transition to the lot, to the uh, commercial venues or the public venues. And are artists seeing, seeing that that's happening where if they say play five house concerts in Moscow, Idaho, that they can then book a club show and they're getting that a lot of those same people to come back out again, even though it's not a house concert this time. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things that make that challenging. There's a certain amount, there's a certain number of people who go to house concerts who are, who they've checked out of the clubs. They're not going to go to a club. Um, unless you, again, you know, that you just, you've turned them into a super fan and they'll, they'll do that for you, but they really like house concerts are their thing. So there's a certain right. amount of folks who, that's their preference and they're not easy to convert into your general fan who will go to any place you're playing. But, but, but that's, I think a small percentage. Um, and the challenge is, is if you've only got two house concerts that you're playing in that region, that may not translate into enough names to you know, if you're going to, cause you wouldn't want to play those two places and do the public venue the same weekend. Right. So, so there's some logistical things. So I think, you know, you need to get the three or four house concerts. You need to be making five, six appearances 
unless you have something else that's effectively working for marketing and getting people to your shows, right. um, then, you know, I think at that point you can, you know, say, all right, I'm, I'm not coming back to the house concerts that weekend. I'm just going to do one big show on my way to someplace else at a public venue. So yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I think choosing your venues as well, choosing a place that you can fill, um, you know, you might not be able to go from house concerts to filling a 200 seater. Right. But there are some really nice listing rooms that are 50, 60 seaters where you could, you know, especially if you team up with a local or another act, then you've got a reasonable shot at filling that venue. And that, that starts your transition into building a broader base. So, the, you know, the slippery thing is that house concerts for some artists become sort of the what's the word, uh, what's the word, um, the easiest way forward. And they stop going after public venues because uh, those are just too much work. You, you know, you got to send 30 emails to make half the money. Right. And just, you know, just not get the same sort of benefits. So it's pat the path of least resistance. That's the, that's the expression I was looking for. So house concerts, you know, if you do well at them, they can make you a little bit lazy in terms of going after public venues. Right. Right. Um, so I want to hone in on the website a little bit. You're, it's, uh, as an artist going to it for the first time, I'll even say I was a little intimidated with how organized and well done it is. Oh, thanks. I went, well, oh my gosh. Well, we, we, you know, we've been at it for, for a good long time. Yeah. And, um, and we made a couple decisions. I say we, there's, there's a handful of us working, but it's, it, I've been sort of the primarily primary guy for a long time. The, um, First thing that we, we decided was that we were going to be a curated community. We weren't, we weren't going to try to go for scale and get, you know, tens of thousands of artists and hundreds of thousands of venues and listing everybody and everything. We said, you know, no, let's, let's find the people for whom this matters a lot, right? So instead of people who are just casually interested, let's go after people that really, really love this idea. Let's see what kind of community we can build with that kind of enrollment, right? So people who aren't just hangers on, maybe just, uh, you know, we want people for, uh, who really value this. And yeah. that, encur that encourages trust, it encourages better behavior. So, you know, we kind of started as a boutique thing and we've really not outgrown that. We're not, certainly we, we'd want, you know, we, we want to increase our numbers. We want to have more venues more house concert hosts for the artists in our network. And that, you know, that creates more capacity, but, uh, but we're not doing, we're not trying to become the McDonald's of house concerts. Right. Um, so, and, and there's plenty of websites that are trying to do that and that's fine. There's, there's room for everybody and, and, you know, let's mix it up. Let's see what works best. Let's see, you know, not every artist is, is the same. Some artists prefer to be in a network like ours where there's a little more exclusivity um, but, you know, frankly, most artists are part of more than one house concert network. They're just, you know, just, you, uh, you know, going where the opportunities are and see if there's some overlap or some gaps in the overlap so that you can get some gigs from one site and one from another. So, yeah. um, so that's all good. I think, you know, exper experimentation is good. There's, uh, you know, anybody who brings a new idea to this is, is welcome. So um, that's cool. But our thing was like, let's, let's really, uh, well, there, there's another thing that, that happened early on that really sort of shaped my belief 
in what we needed to do. And there was a, a lot of, we're, we're in the business of encouraging new people to try hosting house concerts. And invariably, a lot of these hosts don't have a strong music background. They've never had to select artists before. They've never had to create a schedule, a, season, a concert season before. And when they join our network, there's like this implicit trust that they have for us. Mm. And we found time after time that a new host would just book the first artists that reach out. Like they, they didn't wait till they had, they had 10 inquiries and like listen in depth to each artist and say, okay, we're going to choose that one. No, yeah, the yeah. first person that reached out, they, they'd say, okay, if you're on listening room network, you must be good. So they would just had this inordinate amount of trust in us. And that made me like slam the brakes, like hold on. Like I need to make sure if, if, we're, if we're gonna have a significant chunk of our hosts completely trust us to, to basically, you know, that any act that, that they find through us is gonna be great for them. Yes. We had to raise our standards. And so, and that's something that we've done year after year. Um, and so we've created this application process that I, at some point I felt like I had to sort of divorce myself from because who am I to tell everybody who they should book, right? So, uh, and, and my tastes are, you know, not necessarily mainstream. So I wanted the membership of artists in our network to reflect the tastes of the hosts in our network. So we created a, an evaluation system where basically hosts in the network can volunteer their time to not for the booking process, but for the evaluation process when an artist applies. Yeah. And, and unlike any other thing that you apply to, as far as I know, you actually get written feedback from each host and actually uh, one or two people on our staff uh, based on your application. So you're getting feedback on what's working and what's not working in your videos. Mm. So if you're not invited to join, you have like, really a lot of artists tell us it's the best feedback they've ever gotten. Like you get this solid written feedback about how to improve your presentation, how to improve your website so that, so that you can um, have a better chance at success next time you apply. And then once you're in, you have not only better chance of getting gigs, but you also, because you have better videos, the people who book you have a better chance of getting an audience for you because they share your videos and try to inspire people to attend this show for an artist that they've never heard of. Yes. So, so it became very clear that video was really critical, very helpful. And uh, we just, we got to the point where we're just like, we're going to insist. It, we know it's tough. I mean, I'm not happy with any of my videos, but it, it's incentive to always be capturing more, trying to get that lightning in the bottle moment where you're at your best and the audience is responsive. And that's just the responsibility of an artist now is you have to just constantly be acquiring new video that shows you at your best and sharing that with people. I mean, everything's video now. I mean, look at us. This, you know, this could have been a phone call, right? Right. Um, but there's something about seeing me smile when I say something or, or, you know, seeing your eyebrows raise when I say something cool that, uh, that enriches, it enriches the, communication and it's the same thing with video you know you used to have a bit a business card used to be what you had to have 
when when right. I started as an artist, I needed a business card right. to go give to the club owner, right? Right. And then you needed, you know, uh, then you needed a website. And, you know, all the folky acts are like, I don't want a website. That just sucks. You know, I, I should be able to give you a CD. And if my CD sounds good, well, you know, Autotune comes out. And we know that uh, most of what we hear on a record is not what we're going to get. It's not what you're going to get live. Live. So now we want a video because there's a little bit more authenticity to that. We can tell in a video 99% of the time if it's lip synced or if it's actually the person singing. Of course. So, so yeah, so video, video became critical. And our evaluation process, you know, became super critical as, as a tool to, uh, you know, to make sure that we had not just good talent, but talent. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the people who've not gotten in the first time, like famous people have not gotten in just because their videos weren't right. It's just like, okay. It's like yeah. one of the three original members of this famous band, you know, yeah. and it's, you know, the backup guys are not the same guys that are touring. People want to know what you bring into their house. Yes, of course. So, so, you know, video became important. And, and also one of the side benefits, uh, I know this, I'm stretching this out a bit, but one of the side benefits, it's really one of the coolest things that I've done for the website. It's one of the more meaningful things, this whole evaluation process is there is a certain amount of enrollment or buy-in when a, when a host volunteers their time to check out artists uh, who are applying. Number one, they could, they could love that artist. And even if the artist doesn't get invited to join the network, they might say, I don't care if you join the network. I want to book that guy because he was awesome. Yeah. So, so people can get gigs just from applying. Um, but not only that, it builds name recognition. So if you've got four or five hosts in the network who were there when you applied, yes, when you we, when you reach out to them, they're more likely to oh yeah I I, I remember this guy cool yeah let's let's see if we can book him you know so so there's a lot of really good stuff that comes out of uh, number one removing me from the evaluation process number two getting our hosts involved in it uh, and number three providing this really thoughtful written feedback yeah. to, every, to every artist who applies and they don't always love the news that they get um but i've been stopped at like focal lines that it, by artists who said you know i used to hate your guts uh when i applied you know i didn't get in and it was, it was really hard to read the valuations and then a couple months later i looked again and i said you know i do need a better website and i do need better better video and I did those things, and now I'm kicking ass, not just in your network, but, you know, the positive videos, great, great videos will help you in all aspects of your career. So, so it's really rewarding for me to, to, you know, yeah, we do piss a few people off, but we, we often nudge them in a direction that actually pays off for them, whether yeah. or not, whether or not they ever join the network uh, is beside the point. Sometimes it just, you know, artists will tell you all the time, just like once we had that particular video, everything changed for us. All of a sudden, we didn't have to make five booking calls. They watched the video. They said yes. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's it's frustrating. It's painful for artists to hear what we tell them sometimes. But it, it's 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 fun for me to see that it often leads to really cool changes in their career. So that you uh, you gave me a few questions uh, yeah. to ask. Um, sure. 
first off, how many artists are there in the network and how often do you get applications? Are they coming in daily or what's what's the rate there? Well, they, they used to come in daily. Now, you know, it's like, who wants to spend a few hundred bucks to join a website for booking right now? I just, you know, actually, I mean, there's still, we're probably getting one or two a week right now, but um, usually it's daily, you know, usually, you know, 30 to 50 a month or something like that. Okay. Um, and then, um, but yeah, it sort of, you know, it, it, it comes and goes. Yeah. And we have a, a couple hundred artists on the site and then we have probably seven or 800 hosts. Okay. So that was actually my next question is that there still is a uh, demand. It's not the artists haven't flooded where there's 10 times as many artists as there are venues. Right. So that's one of the things I'm actually uh, not only committed to, but a little bit proud of is that we might be the only place on the web where there's more opportunity than artists. You know, if you go to a music conference or most booking sites, it's like, you know, 10,000 artists trying to talk to 50, 50 hosts or venues. Um, and it, in our network, we have at least three to one in terms of venues to artists. So for every act, there's two, three, four venues uh, in the network. So, uh, so yeah, so that we, we try to stack the odds in favor of the artists having success. That's great. That's great. Um, and, we're, and we're committed to, to that ratio. Like we're, we don't want to have the same number of artists as we do hosts. Like we right. want to keep more venues than artists for sure. That, no, that's, that's great. And if I was reading on the site that only 30% of applicants get in their first time um, or follow the directions their first time even, um, what is, I mean, that you were just talking about why that is. Um, is there a period between applications? If you get rejected, do you have to wait 12 months or as long as you pay the fee again and improve in the way that's asked, you can go? Yeah, ahead. so so there's two factors there. I, uh, number one, we usually, we usually say it's six months um, before you can reapply again, unless it's like a really close call. We would be like, you know, we know that you have the talent for this. You just need one better video or you need to revamp that website or, you know, we need to see just a little bit more tour experience, touring experience from you. You know, your calendar's bone dry. We have, we have no sense of whether you've ever done a live gig or not, but your music's awesome and your video's great. So, you know, a lot of times there's these edge cases where we'll say, you know, normally it's a six month, wait before you can apply again but you know if you as soon as you fix these issues you're welcome to re reapply and then when you reapply there's a it's a discounted rate uh, you're not paying the full application fee the second time gotcha gotcha do most people who keep trying get in eventually um i I don't have any numbers. I don't have any hard numbers on this. I can only do it anecdotally. Um, there, because one of the things like we don't want to be in the business of just trying to make application fees. Like you know, hey, yeah, just keep applying. We're gonna, you know, first of all, I don't really make any money. I pay a couple of people to to help me with this process. So right. the the costs of the application really just kind of pay for the people that have to get paid to make sure that like because. For example, you know, a host who's a housewife who has no background in music logs in to give us an evaluation of you as an artist, right? We yeah. still value her opinion because she's a host in our network and she could book you. 
but she may not have the language. She may may uh, may not be good at providing writ written feedback to an artist in a professional way. So I have professionals on staff who edit when necessary, so that you know if yeah if they're saying something totally outlandish, it still matters to us that okay number one they weren't inspired by what you did or what you presented but we don't want them insulting you accidentally or telling you that you're pitchy when you're not. So there's a little bit of, you know, professional work that goes into each of these evaluations. They're not, they're, I mean, they're mostly not, I'd say most of them are not edited because a lot of people who do volunteer their time have some, some background. Yeah. But we do, you know, we want to make sure that you're not paying to, uh, uh, to hear wrong stuff. And then, the, and then the professionals themselves also offer evaluations because they are a little more insightful. And uh, then, they know if you're pitchy or not. They'll know for sure. Yeah, yeah. And they, they see more stuff, right? And so they, they can give you a little more context about why things are working or not. So I'm um, sorry. I think I got distracted from your question there. What was the – Oh, oh yeah. Do, do, they eventually, do they eventually get in? That was the question. I forgot to. Right. So, so based on that, so let's say we give you good feedback, you're originally irritated, but then you apply again. And, you know, maybe the first time it wasn't a close call and the second time it is a close call. Then what we often do is we'll say, you know, listen, you're super close. Um, we don't want to take any more money from you in terms of application, but you know, in three months, if you have something new uh, to show us, you know, just send it in. Don't, you know, don't apply again. Just send it in and we'll, we'll sort of look at what you have. Um, that, that used to be a secret, but that's, that's kind of how we do it. So, yeah. so we really don't, we don't want to charge somebody three or four times to apply over and over again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, there are, you know, there are some cases where, you know, they're, we know they're just, they're just not going to get in. Gonna and get at in. some point we have to tell them that there's, uh, uh, not, you know, we can't, I mean, who, who am I to say that you're never going to be good enough? That's, that's not cool either. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, I think at some point, you know, if we tell you to wait another six months, then we tell you to wait another six months, people usually kind of go, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going to keep applying, but, right. but it is, I mean, I just love it when, when, when they come back a second time and get in, I just, to me, that's my favorite thing. Like, you know, they don't get in. They get good advice, they act on that advice, they come back and they get in and they have success because they've got all, everything humming. And to me, that's my favorite, my favorite thing. I love that, I love that. So let's dig in on these videos a little bit. You're talking yeah. about the importance of the videos. Um, would you rather see an artist where maybe it's filmed on an iPhone and the audio quality isn't incredible, but you can see their personality and you can see how well the audience has been interacting with them and they're interacting with the audience or um, in say a studio with a small audience where you have a nice microphone, really great audio quality. Um, but it maybe just shows the artist performing the song for, from start to finish. What's your preference? So number one, you know, I'm not the only person evaluating stuff, so everybody's different. But um, what I've noticed in 12, 15 years of doing this is that no matter how many rules or preferences you have, 
you sometimes see or hear something that is so overwhelmingly good that the rules go out the window or vice versa. So they're doing everything right, but you are just not inspired at all by mm -hmm. what is happening. So, so that's, that's number one, that's important. It's like every host is different and every host is ready to abandon, abandon their rules if you deliver something, something magical, right? Yeah. And so for me, cell phones have come such a long way in terms of quality. Most of what we see on live streams on Facebook are, are shot with iPhones. So that in and of itself is not really a limitation. Mm -hmm. uh, the limitation is if I'm filming you and I'm talking to my buddy, yeah, isn't this great? Yeah, what are you drinking over there? And, and so I'm hearing, I'm hearing the, the guy holding the camera more than I'm hearing the show. Right. As, right? Uh, or, you know, I'm shooting like this instead of like that. Yeah. So, so now I'm looking at your video and there's these two black bars on each side and you look like you're tiny. So, you know, you, some things to look for is like, if we can see your face, if they're, you know, if, if you're backlit and we can't see the expressions on your face, that's not good. If we can't understand the words coming out of your mouth, or if we have to struggle to understand them, that's going to, that's going to hurt you. If, you know, if there's excessive distortion or whatever, if there, if, if by the ambient noise, we can tell that you don't have the audience's attention, right? If I'm hearing a bunch of loud people in the background and dishes clanking while you're singing your song, then I'm not getting a great impression of the amount of control you have over that room or the amount of attention that you have in that room. Right. Um, you know, in terms of positives, like if I can see, if you crack a joke and I hear people laugh, that's good. Yeah. If you show some personality for a few seconds before the song starts, that's awesome. You know, if you're going to tell me a five minute joke or five minute story, when I, you know, bottom line is I want to hear you sing that song, then I'm going to get bored uh, unless your story is just incredible. Uh, and, and so, so, you know, something short and sweet and funny, uh, you know, that lasts two or three seconds is like, that's, golden you know something that just gives me a sense of who you are in my living room and then you go right into a song and i don't have to hear you play the intro five times before you finally sing a word yeah right uh, you know uh, there's so many songs where it's just like the, the guitarist is warming up before the song starts um so yeah so those are you know some of the things that that you know jump out at me so yeah the 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 technical quality of the video. Uh, there are some basics in terms of lighting. I want to see your face. I want to be able to understand the words. I want some decent balance between the instruments so I can hear what everybody's doing. It's pretty annoying to see a third guitarist and you're only, you're only hearing two parts or, you know, you, you, you see three people, but only two of them are playing. Yeah. Uh, and the other person's just kind of like looking off into the distance or something. So, so yeah, those are the basics, but I think one of the best things that you can do is, is, is look at a bunch of artist videos, live videos and, and take notes of what works for you. Like if you were to book a show in your living room, you're right. Just do a study, watch 10 live videos of artists that you respect and 
just see, just take notes. What's working? What's not working? What, why, why do I like this video? Why do I like this artist in this video? Yeah. Um, cause every, again, everybody's different, you know, uh, and we're all human, you know, there might be a, a host who says, wow, she's gorgeous. I love her. Like, you know, I mean, it, sure. it, you know, we're dealing with human beings. Uh, they might not like your political material or they might love it. Yeah, they might love it because you are political. Um, so you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds, but the basics are, are pretty obvious, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And then it says two or three videos. Um, and so I think a lot of people might submit their two best performance videos or whatever. Video number three, um, I, I've, I'm actually asking this because I have friends who, in the midst of all that's going on, have made some really clever videos where they're actually, you know, could be a day in the life or a tour video that they made a year ago. But I'm seeing yeah. a lot of them come up now from artists who are really showing their personality online. Could a third video be something like that, that it isn't actually necessarily a song, but it's a, you know, a four minute a montage, yeah, montage. documentary or a montage or whatever. Right. So, yeah, we do see that on a regular basis. Um, I th last I checked, the, the form only allows two links. Um, so I'm, okay. I might have to look at the wording of, of what you were reading there in terms of having three videos. Um, but you know, sometimes people will give us a playlist, you know, a link to a playlist, which may have several videos in it. Mm. Um, so for me, the montage, again, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things. Generally, I prefer to hear two songs. I want to hear one upbeat and one slow one, you know, most often. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, if you're just a crazy upbeat act and you've got tons of great upbeat material and you want to give me two upbeat songs and I love them both, then that's great. But in general, I, I, I want to see... Personally, I want to see some uh, diversity in terms of the material. Um, and I certainly don't want to hear two slow ballads because I want energy as much as I want poetry, you know? Sure. Uh, I don't want to, you know, if, if, I, if you present two songs to me and they're both really slow, sad songs, I'm thinking, okay, is this going to be a fun show? Yeah. For my right. people. Right. Absolutely. So, um, but again, that's me. Um, yeah, sure. And, and now for the artists that, that do get in, um, there's a, uh, a fee and I, I don't even remember what it is, but there's a fee. And is that, uh, something you, I think it was every six months or every year. Is that correct? So generally like the, the sticker price of the membership is like $600 a year. Right. So generally you'd make that back with your first show, you know, right. uh, certainly your first two shows because we don't take commissions or anything like that. Once you, once you're in, um, whatever you make is yours. So if you get five, 10, 15 gigs a year, you're making, you know, really great return on your investment. So, uh, but generally when you join right now, I believe it's one ninety-five for six months and no, it's two ninety-five for six months. So that's basically the $600 rate, but you're only, you, you only have to do a half year. Um, and then it's three ninety five for a full year. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, it's discounted pretty, pretty heavily right now. If you do the full year, I was going to ask if it's worth it for artists to do right now, but it, you're, you're giving them the option. It's a discounted rate for now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I would say that uh, uh, if, if I were joining today, I probably wouldn't do the six-month rate just because there's so much uncertainty. You know, a lot of people are not going to be ready book, to book for at least a few more months. So, so yeah, I would I would take advantage of the full year discount and and just continue to you know hone my stuff and then see what opportunities there are out there. Like one of the things that we've done over you know during this COVID situation, we've done two things. Number one, we got um, a couple of donors to help us. Uh, what's the word? Uh, give stipends or uh, ah, what's the word? <laughs> Is it a great subsidize subsidize thank you um the the live streams so each artist on our network gets uh, a 50 dollar bonus the first time they list one of their live streams on our website so not only are we promoting their shows to the network their live streams to the network but for their first the first listing they get a 50 dollar bonus from us on that uh, and then the other thing is we started a program called music by the yard and we're really encouraging hosts and artists to look at doing outdoor concerts because that's where we're the safest. Low density, people spread out, short duration, so not everybody has to use the restroom. Yeah. Um, events locally so that you don't have travel risks and travel expenses if things, if the weather's bad or whatever, you can reschedule fairly easily. Um, and so this music by the yard concept, we created a separate profile. So each artist on our network has their normal network profile on the website, but they also have this, what we call a fan pitch profile, something that you can send out to your fans in your local area to inspire them to host a show in their front yard, their backyard, the back patio, just for them and their neighbors, you know, 10 to 15 people, you know, as, as a way for you to make a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. You're not going to make 500 or a thousand bucks. Right. On the shows most likely, but it's something, it's an extra tool for you to inspire your fans to, to, to have live music, you know, to invite just a handful of people that they trust, maybe the next door neighbor, maybe, you know, maybe their kids from, you know, uh, on the other side of town, whatever. <clears throat> so you have a small group, they can wear masks, they can spread out right. and, and enjoy some live music and you can make a, a few hundred bucks without, without a whole lot of risk. So that, that's one of the, so we're doing things to help, you know, create income and activity during the COVID crisis. So we're not just waiting for things to clear up. That's great. And it's, it's nice that you guys are proactive in that. And, and uh, there's some things to do in the short term while we're all waiting, who knows how long. And along yeah. those lines, I know you can't predict anything any better than my next door neighbor can necessarily. But in terms of this, in terms of long-term effects um, with COVID. Do you, do you see that changing the way house concerts are viewed or listening rooms or the way the website is run in any way? Yeah, well, until, you know, until the riots and protests, I, um, I had a pretty hard opinion, but, you know, the amount, the amount of people that are squeezing into small places right now or, you know, the, the, how people are just, you know, throwing caution to the wind and gathering in the streets um, that's kind of opening my eyes a little bit, but my, I still believe that in terms of the house concert community, especially with our network, our network, you know, has a lot of middle-aged and senior fans, right? right. Uh, these are, these are people that, 
they, they have space, they have disposable income, they grew up buying CDs and records and they're still, still part of that culture. So they're really um, just such a great fit for the values that we have in our network. And, but they're also the most at risk for COVID. Right. So, there, so there's a chunk of our people that are still very afraid to do anything or to en attend anything. Um, you know, maybe let's say, let's call that a third. And then there's a third that are like just chomping at the bit to do stuff. And there's actually still booking shows and, and they might not be having any right now, but they're booking stuff for the fall and winter. And they're just assuming things will get back to normal. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's a bunch that are just on the fence. You know, I'd say probably about a third. They're just waiting for a couple more positive signals. Right. Uh, in terms of, in terms of how I think it's going to play out, um, I still, I've been thinking this way for a while, but I think rather than a second wave, which will certainly be confused by the actual flu season, right? We, you know, people will get the flu, but will it be COVID? We, we, you know, that'll right. make things even more complicated. But what I think is going to happen is we're just going to have sporadic regional breakouts, you know, Oh, Denver's on fire. Like, you know, Denver's got a COVID COVID, what do you call it? Hot, it's a hot spot, right? There all of a sudden yeah. there's a lot more infections in Denver, but Tallahassee is fine and Orlando is fine, but Tampa's flaring up. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of this stuff, you know, for potentially the next six months or even longer. Yeah. So and that's going to make touring difficult, which is why, you know, I want to do more to help lean in, help artists lean in on doing local shows. I think that's the idea of putting off, it's so hard to book tours and to book tours in the face of so much uncertainty. Uh, the fact that, you know, your tours are likely to be canceled or like, you know, half your shows are likely to be canceled, which makes the tour unprofitable and unworkable. Right. Um, so I think you, you're, you're putting yourself at the mercy of too many variables if you're doing any long distance touring. Right. Um, and again, that's not a big deal if you're financially well off and like, it's not really about the money and, and you can adapt and then that's great. But if you're an artist who's trying to make a living by playing shows, I think touring beyond your home region is going to be super risky for a while. Yes. So I, you know, I, I, that doesn't mean you can't play a few shows in the town over or, you know, but I think I would want the ability to come back and sleep in my bed uh, or, you know, or at least be, you know, no more than a day's drive from right. home if things fall apart. I don't want to have to fly. Yeah. Basically. Right. So I think anywhere that you can get to in your car that doesn't stretch you out too far too, with too much risk, I think um, it, it is doable, but I'm really going to be encouraging artists to book regionally uh, instead of, ambitiously like they used to you know you get a couple gigs in europe I'm like okay i got a couple of house concerts in europe i'm going and i'll just see what else i can book i you know i wouldn't do that right now do you have uh is it worldwide do you have yeah yeah we we have a handful of hosts we don't have a lot in europe uh, but we have a hand, handful there uh, germany france uh spain a uh, couple other countries netherlands uh we have a couple in canada but mo you know most of our activities in the u.s Great. Um, though that I didn't, I didn't realize you guys, uh, went abroad. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, uh, again, the internet's global. And when I started building this website, there's like, I'd find a host in Australia. Why not ask them to join? Who knows? 
Right. So, um, so yeah, so, but you know, the, the challenge with house concerts is that, you know, for a tour, you need critical mass. So, right. to, you know, having two or three hosts in Germany, okay, that's, that might turn into an anchor weekend and you can build other stuff around it. But, uh, you know, if there's only two or three hosts there, what are the chances that you're going to get all three of them to book you in the same weekend? Or, or that you get all three to book you in in the first place. Right. So critical mass is a big is a big big deal when it comes to touring and when it comes to making our site useful uh, to the artists in our network. Is we have to find you know clumps of activity. Yeah, absolutely. Are, now, are there any complaints that you get um, that you see time and time again? Obviously, maybe artists not happy about getting in or whatever. But do you have any any things any holes that you've see in in the website or with the network in general um that you're trying to to work out or do you feel pretty confident with everything that it's being run just right yeah um well i'm not ready to fire myself but uh, <laughs> uh but i would say that our biggest liability is that we are in the business of inspiring new people to host shows mm. and we generally talk to every host or every venue we talk to them on the phone to make sure they understand the culture and the expectations um but as you know humans are not always uh self-aware and a lot of people think they can do this and when push comes to shove they don't get an audience and and uh and might be tempted to cancel the show or not let the artist know, or maybe the artist fails to check in. Uh, and so you have an artist traveling a long way to play for very few people, or you get a cancellation without, you know, without a reasonable amount of time to, to adapt. So those are the things that, you know, it's certainly not unique to house concerts, but that's really the, that's always, I think, gonna be the greatest thorn in our side is that there's just a certain amount of people who mean well, they wanna help artists, they think they can, they think they can get an audience and we give them all the tools that we can. But when push comes to shove, there's a, there's a, there's a failure rate. There's a certain number of hosts who, you know, maybe 10 or 20% who, you know, try and fail at this. Yeah. And so th that's one of, you know, that's one of the liabilities. And that's one, if you're an artist in our network, you can avoid people who don't have a track record. You can say, you know, I'm going to wait and see, uh, at, you know, a few artists that I respect have played there and have given that host recommendation. So we have that social proof, right? We have recommendation system. So after I play your house, you can review me and I can review you. And that goes on the website. Uh, the positive recommendations go on the website. And then if there's actually a second window, we don't want people to be criticized in a, in a public way. Uh, but you can, you know, if, if let's say uh, the show went well at your house, um, I made enough money, all expectations were met, but you had a viciously intimidating pit bull that yeah. uh, not only scared the crap out of me, but like maybe snapped at me or I saw it snap at one of the guests. I might put a comment in the private section of the show and say, listen, this guy has a safety issue and I don't think he's aware of it. And then you know, as, as the website, we get that feedback and we make a decision is like, all right, is this, could this be a one-off thing or is this something that we should, should reach out to the host about? And yeah. 
we uh, we're careful. We're not going to throw any, uh, anybody on the, under the bus. We're not going to, if we reach out to a host, we're going to tell the artist first, like, listen, here's, you know, we think based on what you told us or vice versa, right? If a host is complaining about an artist, we, uh, we'll always consult with, with the reviewer first and say, listen, you know, we, we feel like we need to say something to the other party about this. Here's how we want to approach it. Are you okay with that? Uh, so we're not going to poison the well for you right? Uh, based on some comment that you might wish you'd taken back. It's like, no, no, no. Cause now that they got this negative feedback, they'll never book me again. So, so we're real sensitive to that. Uh, but, but social proof, when you see a host has done three shows and they've got three recommendations and two of them are artists that you know, and you can actually call them if you want to say, like, was that really a great show? Oh yeah, it was awesome. Go. So, so that I think it's really important. You know, that's why you see it everywhere with, you know, Airbnb and other types of uh, social services where you have uh, a recommendations engine where people can, it, it helps keep the community safe, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I have to say though, in 15 years of doing this, I mean, it's, it, the problems are so rare. It's just yeah. incredibly rare that we have something where we feel like there's a safety or just a really bad actor. It's, it's incredibly rare. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm, that's a, a positive thing to hear. And now do the hosts, do the hosts pay to be on the site as well? Or are they, yeah, the first 10 or 12 years of the website, we didn't charge them. I mean, you know, we we're just so grateful that, that people were inspired to do this. But as we learned with artists, it's like the more we charge, the better the artists were and the more serious they were and the more they cared. And we had this failure rate with hosts that was really high because they had no skin in the game. So they would join with the best intentions and then we try to get them on the phone and they never pick up the phone, never call us back. And it was like pulling teeth to get these people activated and make sure that they understood what they were getting into. And so we started charging 10 bucks and uh, 20 bucks a year. I think it's 10 bucks when you join, but it's 20 bucks a year. And mm. right away that just, that improved our lives like significantly just because yeah, we have fewer people signing up, but it filtered out mostly the right people. Yeah. Uh, if you're not willing to spend 10 bucks to be part of our network, then it's, you're probably not the kind of person we need to have. Right. Right. Um, and are, is there, I guess to, to sort of finish off, do you have any artist success stories? Maybe an artist we've heard of, maybe not, but uh, something really cool happened to them through, through doing your house concerts. I'm sure there's dozens of them, but is there one that? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, one of the fun things, because I'm such a Europe fan and I've enjoyed playing over there, I love, I love that, you know, significant of our significant number of artists in our network have gotten the tour Europe for the first time based on getting a handful of key house concerts through the website. And they're, you know, they're really super grateful when that happens. And they reach out to me and say, listen, man, we got the tour Europe for the very first time because of listening room network or uh, Dan Frechette, who's one of, been with us for a long time telling me that, you know, if it weren't for the house concerts on their European tour, it would have been a total wreck. You know, he basically said, Fran, you saved our asses over that. I mean, I didn't personally do it, but the website did uh, because, you know, most of the gigs that, that they'd booked in Europe were just a mess, except for the handful of house concerts they, that they'd gotten through our website. So that's the kind of stuff that that's really, um, I love. And, and the idea that, uh, the, the other side too, and, and this is, the, 
it just reminds me of where I was and the idea of artists who are just super talented and just can't seem to, to find the brass ring. You know, they're touring, they've been, they put out 10 records and, you know, they're not famous. They're not getting famous, but man, they love to play. They're so good at it. And, uh, but nobody smells a million bucks, right? Nobody smells like, oh, we can make a fortune off these guys. Let's sign them. Right. So, so they're left to develop a meaningful career for themselves. And once they decide to do that, house concerts become like a really corner, a cornerstone of their touring strategy and their career strategy. And, you know, eventually I get an email from them saying, you know, that house concerts and our network has made their touring life way more meaningful than it ever has been, not just financially, but they enjoy the people that they play for. They have these additional experiences that you would not expect. Like one of our hosts in Germany was an ultralight pilot or his father was. And so when I toured Europe and, you know, played their house, the next day he took me flying in like a, a glider plane over Germany. You know, Whoa. I played, I played for some folks in Nebraska and one of the funny things that they do in Nebraska on the Platte river is they go tanking. And this is one of those big horse feeding troughs where they, when they water the horses, they fill these massive, it's like a massive round tub. It's about a foot and a half high. It's made out of aluminum. Yeah. They put it on the back of a flatbed truck and they take it up river with, uh, with like picnic chair chairs and a, and a, and a cooler full of beer and they set it in the water and they basically have a picnic in this tub floating down the river. It's the most ridiculous fun thing ever. Just like, it's like a tailgate, par tailgate party where you're floating down this very shallow river. Like you get to a few places where you have to actually lift the thing over a sandbar or whatever. Wow, that's but, cool. So yeah, there's all these kinds of, you know, the, the people that gravitate towards this community tend to be really special and really certainly warm hearted people. For, it's meant a lot to me because I've kind of put myself in the middle of not just the hosts that, that have this generosity of spirit to support the artists, arts, but the, the artists who gravitate towards this tend to be really cool people. So I've been really fortunate to be at the, in the middle of this thing for 15 years. And, and those are like just two typical stories of, of the kind of great stuff that happens. Um, yeah. You know, like hosts will, you know, sometimes ad adopt artists almost like step, step kids, you know, and uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it, there's a super family vibe there for sure. I love that. I love that. Well, Fran, thank you so much for, for taking your time to chat with me. And I know the listeners all appreciate it very much as well. And I'll, uh, include a link to the site. I'll include a link where we can listen to your music as well. Thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, hope to chat with you again sometime. All right. Thanks, Andy. It was, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Fran. Well, that was fun. Thanks, Fran, again for your time. I really appreciate you chatting with me and chatting with the middle-class rock star audience. Um, that was fun. Nice guy. We had a great conversation. I think I, I uh, ran a little over our time, so I, Fran, I apologize for taking for taking up more of your time, but thanks for 
thanks for sharing your knowledge and your and your awesome site and concept. So they're in the show notes. Uh, you can there's a site to go to the Listening Room Network. It's just listeningroomnetwork.com. And there's just some great info for artists. Um, we got a couple other links in the show notes and uh, a link to go check out Fran's music as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. I think next week is Andy Frasco week. I got to double check, but I had a great conversation with Andy Frasco. If you haven't heard of him, he has navigated quarantine better than any other artist. Look him up, Andy Frasco, F-R-A-S-C-O. Um, I've had the pleasure of jamming with his band before, and he's just a wild and awesome dude. So it's going to be a fun conversation. He's getting he's getting big. He's getting lots of... Uh, He's getting a lot bigger. You know, he's getting lots of attention. He's playing bigger and bigger theaters, so it's been fun to watch his career really grow and uh, just just an awesome dude. So check out next week's episode with Andy Frasco, and I hope I'm not uh, misquoting the schedule. Um, and then the week after that, we'll have Shanna in a dress will be on. Phenomenal. Um, Boulder artist, singer-songwriter, who grew up in the Virginia area and moved uh, moved out to Colorado, I think she said six or seven years ago. She has great lyrics. She will tug at your heartstrings. She'll tug them every which way. Had a great conversation with her, and, and we've been chatting semi-frequently about uh, life and music and co-writing and whatever. So it was just a fun conversation I had with Shanna and Address as well. She's putting out new music every Wednesday on her YouTube channel, and she also has her Patreon up and cooking. It's been up a couple months, and she has, I think, 140 backers already, which is wild. So check her out as well. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really, 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 really helps out. I can't tell you how much it helps. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, death threats, whatever, you can direct them directly at me, middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next week. I look forward to hearing from you and you hearing this next week. How's that? <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.